This podcast is called Obsessed. Joseph Scrimshaw and his guest get some secrets off their chest. You should listen. It's the best. Hello and welcome to Obsessed with me, Joseph Scrimshaw. I'm sitting in my home with a great guest. She's a dancer, a tree lover, historic mansion manager, many other wonderful nouns like my wife. It's Sarah Scrimshaw. Hello. Hello. Thank you for being back on Obsessed now that we are in uh, quarantine times and you are always the guest on Obsessed. (laughs) Well, I'm happy to be here as the guest again. (laughs) Yeah, I've gotten some very nice comments that people are really excited that this is a fun thing that has happened because of the the new times, the now times, uh, that you are the always guest on Obsessed. I enjoy it very much. (laughs) Uh, I am excited to talk to you. I do miss talking to other people and maybe... Maybe I'll think about doing, uh, I'm saying this more to listeners than you, even though I'm making eye contact with you right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe I will consider doing some video or audio episodes, uh, Skype, you know, uh, the internet calling. Yeah, Just, that thing. Uh, that thing. And I'm doing it for my other podcast, Four Center. Mm-hmm. And uh, my primary partner on that podcast, oh, that's a fun thing to say, primary, primary partner on that podcast, Ken Napsock, and I have gotten into a good rhythm. But it's weird for me with Obsessed because I feel like Obsessed is a show that both jokes around and it's a show where I ask people to be pretty honest and sometimes like discover things about themselves through talking about something they like. And for me, there's just like an intimacy to that, mm-hmm. that it just bugs me to think of being on the internet and saying like, so, you know, what happened in your childhood that you absolutely love bozo the clown and then yeah oh i'm sorry no you go you go you go i'm I'm sorry no i i know everybody's doing it but yeah i just wanted to uh, take a moment to explain my my complicated feelings Mm -hmm. on internet podcasting well we can test and you know i'll go in (laughs) a different part of our apartment and call you from my computer or phone or something and let's make a train wreck internet episode (laughs) on purpose uh, interneting from the same apartment. Wee! <laughs> Wee! I would be willing to do it just to use a custom Star Wars Zoom background of Palpatine's throne on Exegol. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, which I'm, I'm dying to use. I'm yeah. dying to use. So I'll find a way. <laughs> but for now, uh, we can look at one another and interject in all sorts of human things, read body language, drink cocktails, all that kind of stuff right here together. This episode, we are going to talk about something that you are straight up obsessed with. Yep. Something I enjoy. Sometimes, <laughs> but you are obsessed with, and that is nature documentaries. Mm-hmm. Now, to you, how do you define that? What all counts as a nature documentary? Yeah, so that's a great question, and uh, I've been thinking about it because I knew we were going to talk about this, and I was like, well, wait, is this show a nature documentary? Would this consi- be considered a nature documentary? I have a loosey-goosey definition of okay. nature documentary. To me, it's can be anything from like like i was just watching um like a little three minute instagram video by a nature uh photographer and i'm like well i kind of consider that like a mini nature doc maybe okay so you we're getting you information consider insta stories a form of nature documentary i mean it depends on what it is i guess i guess maybe this you're getting information about a topic as well as pretty moving pictures <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, well, I mean, have to be that pretty, could be actually. birds I'll take of prey because you're getting information pretty. about the human condition, right? But it, well, it has to be about something in nature. But to me, okay. it's, it can be like about like planet Earth, or it can be about volcanoes. Um, 
I think the one that made me question this was like our garden shows on yeah. nature documentary. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that one, one specifically. Sure. That's yeah. that's yeah. I wanted to ask you specifically what what are the, because I feel like the parameters uh, of a of a nature show are that nature shows don't have a um, beginning, middle, and end necessarily. Mm-hmm. That they're more. Uh, I guess what I'm reacting to is the gardening shows that we've watched. We've watched ones like uh, where where your fave Monty Don is helping people make the best garden they can. And then that has an element of almost reality show of, you know, will they succeed in making their fountain? Yeah, I would absolutely not consider those a nature documentary. Okay. So those for sure for me are not in that category. But some of the others that are a little bit more today, we're going to explore, you know, the gardens of the Mediterranean, and there's a theme and a presenter or multiple presenters or experts who have a theme. I think like there's a theme statement. Yeah. And maybe that is one episode or movie or maybe it's a series, but there's there's a content expert involved. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Would you... Yeah, I guess I, I guess maybe I just kind of slotted into travelogue because we, we watched a great Monty Don episode of Italian Gardens where he mm-hmm. went and he saw gardens and it had a lot, it had so much history in it because a lot of it was about why people built gardens. So I guess it just felt to me so much more about like it was about a kind of a travelogue about the human experience where we saw some nature, mm-hmm. but the nature was all a, had all been structured by humans to represent mm. different human ideas. Interesting about whether or not humans can have had an impact to make it be a nature documentary. I'm, I feel that like doesn't they do. count because then all nature documentaries right now uh, deal with climate change. So right. all of them have a human impact. Right. Or like I've, I've watched a documentary a while ago about um, tea. Okay. Um, and it was specifically a, a certain region in Japan of their tea farming process. But I would absolutely consider that a documentary. Because it was about where the tea actually came from? Yeah, and just, I, just like within what, like the, um, you know, you watched the tea, you watched the tea grow. Oh, wow. That sounds fascinating. <laughs> it was very long. That's where I lost five years. <laughs> um, but, you know, kind of went through the whole process like a documentary would. Okay. So I, I feel like you can watch like documentaries, I feel like, that are about... Uh, underwater explorers or something right maybe yeah i think it's a kind i, I think loosey goosey is yeah is the best term for uh, yeah it. <laughs> absolutely let me ask you this within your loosey goosey definitions yeah the ones that you're describing are uh things that have an element of nature to them for sure but also have an element of history but it sounds like with the t1 and with monty down visiting the italian gardens those are observational and there's no effort to impact or change the narrative i i think that's a good distinction okay yeah so that's what is necessary it has to have some nature and it has to have either an on-camera or off-camera you know voiceover Mm -hmm. who is observing it but not trying to affect the outcome because like yes you could you could call any of the like many hunting and fishing shows nature documentaries but it's not like here's the history of this uh kind of you know bass it's i'm gonna catch and cook that bass yeah and i say that except a lot of nature documentaries especially right now but for a long time like there's there we'll i'm sure talk about this but i'll talk about it now there's a nature documentary called virunga 
which has been in my Netflix queue since it was released. It's about mountain gorillas. I have been a huge fan (laughs) for, um, I don't know, since I was like nine of mountain gorillas. I haven't watched it yet. I will, I promise. But I'm, I suspect that that kind of has a, it does have a, um, a purpose. Like they do want a change. They do want people like a lot of the nature documentaries right now. There's a reason there's so many of them coming out. It's kind of like, Hey, look at this planet. It's about to die do things yeah so i feel like there is an that's outcome a, but that's different that's an outcome from you the viewer viewer in your own life as opposed to something changes within the program yeah that is yeah. A, a moral or a message for advocacy mm-hmm. as opposed to a you know real life protagonist yes it would be like if monty don said i'm gonna go to italy and i'm gonna mess these gardens up <laughs> <laughs> or yes. make them better then it yeah. you, then would it, would it be a documentary yeah and and I'll admit, even the the Italian gardens episode that we watched that I know you're referring to, I would put that one kind of on the very fuzzy edge. Okay, the fuzzy me, edge of the loosey goosey. <laughs> exactly. Okay. Because I feel like that one is very much, it is a nature documentary, but it's also like I think travelogue is a good word for it, and um, yeah. Okay. I, so I would put that one kind of on the edge. I feel like there are others that probably would fit more into the nature documentary. Okay. This is a really fun and honestly slightly (laughs) different way to start Obsessed because I think some, like I'm sure I could Google nature documentary and Wikipedia would have an opinion and show me other people's opinions of what exactly, uh, you know, constitutes a nature documentary. Mm -hmm. But it's fun to have a topic that is a little, can be a little Mm loosey-goosey. Like last week we talked about James Bond and we did not start with a long conversation about what (laughs) is a James Bond. That's true. Maybe we should have. <laughs> <laughs> well, if people try to act on James Bond. Anyway, uh, I want to go move on by going back in time in the beginning of your interest in nature documentaries. Mm-hmm. Do you remember any of the first ones you watched? Do you remember if they were a big part of uh, your childhood? Um, they weren't a big part of my childhood, but I think one of the places that this love of them came from is um, when I was very little. My family lived in Red Wing, Minnesota, but my grandparents lived in the Twin Cities, and we would go visit them. And I think it was like for a year or two years. And a film crew followed you. (laughs) They did. And I consider myself part of nature. (laughs) (laughs) I agree. Uh, Thank you. No, so we would go up to the Twin Cities, um, Minneapolis, St. Paul, Minnesota, uh, fairly often, at least, you know, for like these two years. And we had a membership to the Science Museum of Minnesota. And uh, this is where I feel like I'm doing an infomercial for museums. You can make a difference. <laughs> but the uh, the Science Museum had an Omni Theater, which is like an IMAX in that it's huge, but it's rounded. So it surrounds you. And the Omni Theater at the old Science Museum, you know, you walk in, uh, I think from the bottom, and like you, you see it all around you. And when you're, you know, a really good Omni Theater movie is going to, you know, you're going to go down a steep hill or something. You're going to feel like you're there in the helicopter with the people filming it. Right. It gives you the actual sense of movement. It does. Like people who suffer from motion sickness often can't watch them because they get dizzy or are worried about getting sick. Yeah. It's like your Um, vestibular system must be this strong to ride this (laughs) theater. Right. But I loved them. And so I think to me it was like that was a big treat. And, oh, you know, like, is there a new Omni Theater film? You know, because they had like, they're huge and there aren't that many theaters like that in the world and incredibly expensive to make. And so they would get like three movies a year um, and they would rotate and be there for like months on end. 
but I think for at least a year or two, we went and saw every single one. Wow. Um, you know, so I saw six films in two years. <laughs> was there one or two that made an impact that stuck with you? Or is it just the general memory of being in this sort of magical place and seeing truths of nature displayed? I think the, the general memory, like, I loved anything that had a little bit of like a dip in it or something. The one that sticks. <laughs> <laughs> so like the one of the bears dancing. <laughs> right, right, exactly. <laughs> that kind of dip. Um, the one that. I think of off the top of my head, which I saw much later. Um, I don't remember when it came out. It was called Ring of Fire. And it Whoa. goes around the Pacific um, Rim where you've got, you know, all the so many volcanoos and everything. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm thinking of the movie Pacific Rim. Yeah. <laughs> Different film. Um, also, there are other films called Rim of Fire because I tried to look it up. <laughs> but, Leaving it alone. <laughs> but but like that's a good example of one that really stuck with me um and there's another one that i know i saw as an adult like exploring ice caves and you go in these amazing places that i am very unlikely to ever go in my life i'm not gonna go that close to magma or suddenly become somebody who repels down ice caves just unlikely yeah understandable did ring of fire include uh the johnny cash song I honestly don't remember. Okay. Well, I'm going to have to Google that. We're going to have to watch it. <laughs> and Rim of Fire. Mm-hmm. So, and would you classify all of these? Because I saw one or two of these growing up in the Twin Cities. Mm-hmm. Uh, these were all pretty much true nature documentaries, too. Let's take you to a, a magical place with amazing photography and, and cameras moving in places that, you know, humans can't. Mm-hmm. Well, obviously they can, but you know what I mean. Yeah. I I feel like at least the ones that I remember very much were that. Actually, there might have been one that was about airplanes, uh, which I would not consider a nature documentary. Well, was it? An, it was about airplanes. Yeah, like about the history of flight or something like that. Okay. Um. So the, I don't think, but the majority of them were, and and I know you know since then they've done ones that are like about the history of the pharaohs or dinosaurs or things like that, which sadly is not a exact documentary about the dinosaurs. Yeah. yeah well, I would consider dinosaurs a part of nature. <laughs> Just like you. Yeah. Yeah. And me. You and me and dinosaurs. Like all a part gotta, of nature. You've got to film the thing in action. <laughs> okay. So that's another uh, list in that's your Lucy Goosey uh, criteria. Uh-huh. Okay. That it can't be just, you can't Ken Burns a nature documentary is what you're saying. It can't just mm. be like uh, photos, still photos with the camera moving. No. No. I, th- I think you do need. You, you need some movement. It needs to be a motion picture. <laughs> okay. We need to worry the train's coming at us. The bird is tra- flying toward us. So the original Lumiere Brothers first film was a nature documentary about a train. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, but I don't, but I kind of feel like things about trains are about planes. That's not about, that's not the point. Yeah, yeah. I, you need to get back to that. Thematic statement, content expert, um, you know, moving pictures. Yeah. I feel like you could have some some elements of nature documentary and something that isn't actually um live yeah. i don't know but then it then it's also um the, I, I don't know what the yeah. right word is so going back to what you love yeah. I, I won't be totally obsessed <laughs> on what is a nature documentary I need to this. <laughs> um g- when you were seeing these uh omni movies were they how did they fire your imagination? Was it just that, ooh, I got to see an exotic, beautiful place? Or did you pick up any sort of um, moral lessons from them? Oh, um, 
I, I don't know for sure, honestly. I'm sure I did. I'm sure it is part of where my love of nature comes from. Yeah. Um, I don't, it is not at all the only reason, but I think it is one of those things because it, I think I already had that interest and that's why these spoke to me. Yeah. And then it was, um, as I've mentioned before, I kind of, especially when I was young, I was like, ooh, cool technology things. So it's like <laughs> cool technology things and nature and all of that. So all at once, but it was never like, oh, I want to be a botanist so that I can be the person going and looking at the flowers on this remote hillside. Like right. that wasn't necessarily the way that it um, triggered my imagination. It was more just kind of the love of it. And I think at the time I was just like, yeah, I have the cool movies and these are fun. But when I was thinking about kind of, okay, but where did I actually start watching these? And I would say that it has been a gradual increase in my obsession over the years and that uh, it has gotten a lot greater since we've had a lot more access. Right. Um, and since now streaming. Yeah. Now uh, we watched a what we could debate whether or not it was a nature documentary. It was um, on Netflix, but we flipped through a bunch of options just on Netflix. And there's a bunch on Disney Plus, And it, yeah, there's an endless amount of, you know, competing. Uh, watch these monkeys <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, in this jungle. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so you watched it a bunch uh, growing up. I'm sure you watched some more as a as a kid, uh, and and then th- there's this great proliferation now. Mm-hmm. What is your favorite nature documentaries now? Mm. I what are your favorite nature documentaries? Like in general, or what is like the specific favorite? Yeah, like do you have when you think of nature documentaries? Are you like, oh yeah, yeah, that's the one. Well, I, so I think there are two for like the, oh, yeah, that's the one. Um, <laughs> one for me has to be Planet Earth, um, the David Attenborough series that came out, I think, like 2006, 2007, somewhere around there, yeah. um, that was commissioned by the BBC and was just kind of amazing in terms of its scope and the um, photography and videography and all of that. And kind so of it, groundbreaking in how close it got to certain animal interactions, right? And waiting, yeah. waiting and waiting and waiting for months to capture a specific interaction and things like that, right? Yeah. Like it's the behind the scenes on that one are just kind of insane of like, oh, well, then I, you know, just was in this, you know, hiding under these leaves for a month trying to get this bird dance, <laughs> um, which is amazing. And so just, I mean, I feel like there's, to me, that one set the stage for basically everything that's come after it in that kind of um, global sense of trying to really capture the world. And also it was amazing footage um, and higher, higher level um, cameras and things like that. Another one that is close to my heart that has disappeared from Netflix, so I'm going to find it again, is The Monkeys of Shangri-La. <laughs> <laughs> Which uh, just sounds amazing. Right? Amazing. So uh, tell me about The Monkeys of Shangri-La. Well, I've only seen it once, so I can't tell you that much. But um, so it's about this specific type of monkey, and I can't remember what kind of monkey they are. Um, but was it was it a monkey that we, uh, in general, are not as familiar with? It's not like a yeah. Capuchin or a No, so I want to say they're kind of like an ivory-colored um, monkey. Okay. And they live um, in a fairly remote section of China, and they only live in this one area. And um, and that's kind of why they, why it's titled that, of like the monkeys okay. of Shangri-La. And they're just kind of amazing, and it's pretty amazing that they still are there. And where in China they are, and I don't remember all of the exact specifics because this was probably four years ago, yeah. five years ago easily that I saw this. Um, 
and haven't seen it again since. It was like a one, like a one hour, like one off thing. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. Did that one have a lot of just spending quality time with the monkeys themselves and seeing everything about their existence and their lifestyle and their mating and eating and Mm -hmm. all that? It did. It was pretty much all just like monkey extravaganza. (laughs) Yeah. I thought uh, no title could be as good as the Monkeys of Shangri-La, but Monkey Extravaganza in Shangri-La would be even better. So you you mentioned Planet Earth. Uh, There was a Planet Earth 2. There's Mm -hmm. the new one on Netflix that's also narrated by David Attenborough. Mm -hmm. Is Our Planet? Yes. Which is just, for me, feels very similar Mm -hmm. to Planet Earth. And all of those are are broken up a lot by region, mm-hmm. but also within region, I feel like there are certain episodes like you pick an episode and you're going to be with the fish or you pick an episode <laughs> and you're going to be with the birdies. So what I wanted to ask is, do you prefer nature documentary episodes about birds, fish, or more traditional uh, land mammals? Oh, um, I don't tend to choose the bird ones. <laughs> I like that you're trying to be very political <laughs> as to not hurt the finch's feelings. Um, well, and I'm not, I don't want to hurt any bird's feelings. <laughs> you learned but, that from nature documentaries. Right? But part of it also is from watching some of these, some of this, the scenes of birds are some of the ones that stand out to me the most. So it's like, that's not my natural inclination. I mean, my natural inclination would often be like, okay, where are the whales? Yeah, okay. I want to go watch the whales. Where are the, you know, the gorillas? I want to go watch the gorillas. Um, there is one, I don't remember right now if it was Planet Earth or Planet Earth 2, that was um, like following some of the grasslands animals in Africa based on when it rained or not. And it was fascinating. Ooh, yeah. And I wouldn't have necessarily been like, yes, that one. I want to follow hyenas. That's going to be fascinating. Um, you know, because I just kind of have... I don't really consider myself an animal person. Yeah. Um, but in, just a, for clarity for people listening, yeah. like you, we couldn't have cats or dogs because you have enough of a fur allergy that it would irritate you. Yes, yes. And I, I love other people's pets. Um, and I've always had an interest in some animals, but I, I don't, I feel like, you know, like I, I never went through a horse phase. <laughs> <laughs> you never <I> demanded <laughs> a pony. I, well, I don't know about that. <laughs> Well, that, that's a story I would like to hear uh, next week's uh, What is Demanding a Pony episode. Uh, okay, so I, I just wanted to give some uh, perspective to mm-hmm. you're not an animal person. But where were you going with that? What does that mean to you? Are you surprised when you relate to the animals? Are you surprised when they pull on your heartstrings? No, I think it's just um, that I feel like they're um, I'm trying to just think about the best way to, to say this. I feel like I really like <laughs> I really like nature and I really like like the earth and learning about it and looking at it but it's not even though one of the things that I love are like the the monkeys or the birds or you know whatever the sharks the animals that we're following right now on the documentary it's it's almost like the whole ecosystem of it that draws me in as opposed to I'm just here for you know the giraffes Right. This is making a lot of sense to me, and especially with your rain example and and with something in general I wanted to follow up on is ever since uh, we met, you have been environment conscious in mm-hmm. the ways that our culture is trying to be. And you've already you've always been mindful every time we've 
moved and there might be, you know, new uh, different city areas, whatever, have different recycling and, you know, lots of ways that we try to be mindful. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes when you and I are figuring out transportation, we'll, we'll discuss it because you bring it up better than I do of like, well, is that a wasteful time to drive our car? Blah, blah, mm-hmm. blah. Um, I didn't mean blah, blah, blah. <laughs> blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Ozone's burning. We're all going to die. Blah, blah, blah. Whatever. I didn't mean it that way. No. But you are an environmentally conscious person is what I mean. Uh, so it makes sense to me that you would say, oh, this is fun to be following this giraffe. Oh, look at the baby giraffe. It's learning to walk. That's fun. But wait. Suddenly, when it becomes about where does the baby giraffe have to go when it rains, because this is how the rain affects the giraffe, and that's how it changes the lion's behavior, that's when you're like, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'd say so. That said, I mean, a good baby giraffe. Come on. <laughs> uh, but but for you, yeah, that that's me looking from the outside. For you, why do you think you are more get more excited by the ecosystem because i have observed this and Mm -hmm. you do get more excited than just something that's sort of like here's a fine documentary but it's just data points about dolphins Mm. you get more excited when it is them the animals interacting with their environment and how intricate nature is yeah it's the story element of it it's it's the bigger picture and it's also i think it is just like the what's the story okay what's the how do these all interact it's the it's the puzzle piece yeah. You know, like, how do you put together the puzzle pieces of the earth or, you know, the grasslands or the coastal seas or the monkeys in Shangri-La um, <laughs> or growing tea? Like, I think it's um, it's how do these pieces fit together to make to make this arc that is not just being put there for the sake of the viewer. It's not like, oh, and then Bob the monkey wants to, you know be sitting where, you know, Edwina the monkey is. And so they squawk at each other. Like that's, I don't want the fake narratives. But, um, but I mean, I find watching the narratives or the, um, the understanding fascinating. Yeah, no, that yeah. makes sense. Uh, sorry, I, I was uh, both swallowing and thinking. <laughs> um, yeah, no, that makes sense. Is it for you when you get that, um, ooh, this is juicy because you're seeing a part of a puzzle piece of a narrative? Are you, is it just fascinating because you've learned something new of like, oh, wow, I didn't realize these pieces connect together? Or does it fire more sort of uh, justice for the environment in your soul? Is that what you're responding to? Are you responding mm-hmm. to the constant reminder that this is how delicate things are and it's taken, you know, billions of years of, of amazing, graceful evolution to create this exact dance this exact balance in this part of the world and now we're stomping through it is it more the intrigue or more the uh, passion for the moral implications honestly the environment part just depresses me a lot (laughs) (laughs) um so it's not that part i think it's honestly part of it too is just the beauty of it and i i love watching these but as you can tell from my great description of one of my favorite documentaries, I don't always retain the facts. Um, so I think it's more just like the... the just letting the ridiculous. monkeys watch letting over Letting the you. pretty pictures watch over, watch over <laughs> me um, is a way that I find peace and beauty in the world. Okay. In transitioning from peace and beauty, uh-huh. how do you feel about the copious scenes in nature documentaries of one animal chasing and 
killing and eating another. Mm, I mean, it's been it's been a journey. <laughs> <laughs> Elaborate, please. <laughs> I think I I don't remember being super bothered by it when I was younger, and then I think as I got older and was just you know more sensitive about life, I was like, ah, no, I can't look at that. And then I feel like I've come back around to like everything's got to eat and (laughs) there's you know there's a reason you need prey you need predator that's how this all works and and there's a reason for that and I feel like I've come kind of come to a more adult version uh understanding of of that if it were only that if it were like 72 hours of animals (laughs) eating other animals I'd be like not one I need to watch takedowns Yeah, yeah not one I need to watch but that said you also can't necessarily watch this and have it be at all honest without talking about that. Right, right. You can't just be like, look at the majesty of the lion without like, you know, they just killed the baby green trap. Yeah. <laughs> um, how do you feel? Do you feel it's over sensationalized? You talked about forcing a narrative where there isn't one. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, there is a true narrative and hunter hunted in life or death chases, That's mm-hmm. you know. Uh, reality, but I think it was the trailer for Planet Earth 2 that they really hooked people by this massive chase of yeah. whether the cute thing would escape. And the lizard versus the snake, I think. Yeah, yeah. and I guess, yeah, the, mm-hmm. the I think in general culture, making a huge lizard snake generalization, but generally I think people are like, will that little lizard escape that mean old snake? And it's really us putting our cultural baggage of animals on this natural, as you described it, everybody's got to eat process. Mm-hmm. Do you feel manipulated? Do you think that's like too much? Or is it like, well, every show's got to sell itself just like that snake's got to eat? I mean, that's, yeah. I mean, that that's the marketing for the trailer. I don't, I mean, they, they did lean into that one during, I mean, it was a pretty amazing scene to have filmed. It was. Um, but... I don't know. I feel like a lot of movie trailers, documentaries are not lean into things that aren't necessarily what grabs me about the film or the movie or the show. Okay. So I don't know. I I don't pay too much attention. So you don't care if it's the trailer. (laughs) Okay. If it's just the trailer. If it were the whole show, like, and now, like those, those are not, I mean, everything has a little bit of a, of a hook to it because you don't just want to be like, okay. So I was in the wilderness um, filming birds for a month. So here's one hour that you get to see exactly what I saw. <laughs> I don't. I don't want to watch that one. I mean, I'm going to be totally honest. That's not the nature documentary that I want to watch. Right. I you don't want, want some of the conflict and the drama in the interlocking realities of nature. Yeah, I want the highlights real, not the live stream slow TV version <laughs> of this poor photographer's three months or okay. three weeks three weeks yeah. okay there's some or maybe three months probably maybe three for months. some of them uh my last hunt and eaten question for now is do you ever find yourself projecting on the animals i think many of oh, us do of in, in in culture and i certainly do yeah um how is that for you when you feel like it's an animal that you deem to be cute or have a lot of personality from a human perspective does it make it harder for you um, to watch the the hunted hunter yeah. ones. Oh yeah, I mean this is also a Planet Earth example, but there is a scene with um, orca whales, and I don't remember. We'll say seals, but something in that family. Oh yeah. And um, I mean, or that's what orcas eat. 
and the orca was playing with it. Oh, yeah. That was, yeah. You know, those are the ones that break me when I feel it, it's definitely the uh, emotional connection to the animal you like. Then for me, it's almost more powerful the anger at the other animal of like, you asshole whale. Yeah. Well, and for me, I like both of those animals. So it's like, <laughs> but the orca needs to survive. <laughs> but this one's cute and little. And <laughs> like, That's your Captain America versus Iron Man <laughs> Civil War. <laughs> Not that you don't like MCU. But, uh, yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, I want to move on to the other uh, side of the spectrum of yeah. uh, animal interaction. Uh, do you enjoy watching the mating rituals? Not necessarily the actual mating, uh, because they don't usually uh, show that. Mm-hmm. But there's a, a decent amount of, oh, look at this animal doing this to its fur or this to its feathers or this weird dance to be because it's trying to let the other uh, animal know that it is a good animal to mate with. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I think that's the one in Planet Earth with, with the birds that is like, okay, I should pay more attention to birds and not just like hawks and eagles and things. Because these, um, I think birds of a parrot. No, that's a flower. I don't remember what kind of birds. Anyway, these birds. They birds all had pray. They all had different mating dances that they would do for like those three days a year and puff up and do this very particular exact dance. And, and this is actually a place where I did then, um, you know, put my own feelings on it. Is then like, usually it was the from what I recall, the male birds who would put on the dance and put on the show and put on their plumage. Yeah. And then the female bird would like, come look at them, watch for a little bit. <laughs> and then half the time, just like be like, no. And I was like, oh, that poor bird. He's like spent his life learning this dance and like growing beautiful plumage. And, uh, and this was his one chance. So yeah, that's when I. Yeah. Yeah. I feel bad for your rejection. You feel that 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 is understandable. There's there are so many human dynamics to place on that. It's it's so hard for me to separate and just go like, there's there is the part like uh, weird. That's that's what animals do. How weird that that is. You know how they have, you know, evolved to prove that they are have all of the desirable qualities. Um, but there's the gender stuff to to put on it of like mm-hmm. the. I mean there's a reason that we use the term peacocking right of like of the the, from my perspective sometimes like that female bird is just trying to go about her business and you keep uh, thrusting out your weird you know throat sack at her or whatever (laughs) just put your throat sack away dude (laughs) like there's that level and then for me there are some that that do have like too close to home uh i can't remember what we were watching we were watching one where um, a bird built its nest by putting just a bunch of crap in there. It just kept throwing <laughs> more and more bullshit. It's sad, uh, you know, single bedroom bird apartment yeah. being like, would you uh, marry me if there's some like cable from Radio Shack in here? <laughs> it's just so sad. Yeah. I think eventually uh, a ladybird came to his crappy bachelor apartment mm-hmm. full of cable and leaves and was like, all right. Yeah, it had some like bottle tops or um, what are they on the top of cans? <laughs> oh, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Yeah. His bottle tops. Like, look what I want at 7-Eleven. Right. Mate with me. <laughs> Do you, uh, I get so fascinated with those, you know, I, I worked, as you know, uh, for so long on that show, uh, Adventures in Mating, mm-hmm. which was a show really, is a uh, choose your own adventure, a romantic 
comedy with a mismatched couple on a date. And at certain points in the date, uh, the waiter would freeze the action. The audience would get to vote on what happened. Um, and I, because it had that choose your own adventure nature, and we did it for years and years, I, I have uh, written and rewritten and revised that, that show again and again. And it was kind of trying to both have fun but break down a little bit, honestly, some of the baggage that we give ourselves in society about what we show to prove worth. Mm-hmm. In kind of having that differentiation between, hey, let's let's let some of the dances and the you know building up our apartment, you know, let's let some of that bullshit go and try to connect, like just really honestly. So mm-hmm. I always got so fascinated by these scenes of like, can I just have a scene where one of them just gets up and dances? <laughs> just <be> like, <laughs> look at my clothes. Look at my, look at where I bought my clothes. Like in the, I brought a top hat. I brought a top hat. Da, 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 da. So I don't know. I guess uh, I wanted to share that. And I also wanted to ask you, do you ever, I understand that you emote and you connect with them, mm-hmm. but do you ever reflect like f- between the bird dances to, we look at those bird dances and laugh and go, that's so funny that they would think hopping on one leg while having one middle tail feather up in the air. That's so ridiculous. But do you ever translate that and go, we as humans do things that are just as ridiculous because we have made them a cultural sign of whether or not we're valuable oh yeah i would love to see the other animals documentaries of us <laughs> what do you think are um human mating rituals that are like these surface level displays of this is our value yeah i mean i i think there i mean there's so many depending on <laughs> on you know where people live all of all of those things yeah, different cultures um I would imagine that some of the like gussying up. <laughs> okay. Um, Loosey goosey and gussying up. You this know? is a great <laughs> vocabulary episode of Obsessed. Um, I just, I feel like some of those would be perfect for this type of, you know. I need more details on gussying up. To you, what does gussying up mean? Yeah, um, okay, so I'll go like, um, say like you're putting on a lot of say for myself i'll okay. just use myself as an example if i were to be gussied up um and in an exaggerated way from how i actually do gussy up um but like with you know really big hair doing my hair really big and putting on a lot of makeup and putting on some like little tight dress and little tall stiletto heels and like then trying to walk somewhere <laughs> and like it's just to me it's exactly like of course we're ridiculous like that is and there's so many versions of that and that's not I don't mean that and that's why I'm using myself but like how is that different from the bird hopping on one leg with one tail feather up you're right I mean that's a great example because the it, uh, it is all different based on culture and gender but that was such a great description because you are physically describing like I'll make my hair taller like they make their feathers <laughs> taller I'll make myself a little taller like they're standing on their legs mm-hmm. yeah yep Perfect. Yep. I'll, put on, I'll make I'll, my thighs slimmer. I'll make my legs longer. Like, make my face you know. more colorful. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you can't miss these lips. <laughs> and I just uh, tape a fake throat sack to my throat and <laughs> everything goes great. And then you will sing. As you remember from our, our mating rituals <laughs> yes. when I had my fake throat sack. That is a lie. Uh, here's a sillier question. Yeah. So you like nature documentaries. Would you watch 
a Star Wars nature documentary about the animals in Star Wars. Absolutely. <laughs> I think that actually, I've talked to you about this before. I so want that channel to exist. I want there to be um, in that galaxy, like, what's on the boo? Like, I, w- I want those. Oh, my gosh. Are you kidding? Oh, yeah. A nature documentary called There's Always a Bigger Fish About the Oceans of Naboo. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I yeah. mean, there's so many options. You could learn about the OPC killer and the Sando Aqua Monster. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> like, I just, I mean, think about it. Like, we know so many planets, and there's so many that we are yet to discover. Um, what if there was a different one on a different nature documentary about each planet? Yeah. So, I mean, obviously there are some animals in Star Wars that I know you like, like porgs. Um, Mm -hmm. But watching something like that, would it make you, uh, would you enjoy it because it is making that fantasy world more real? Yeah, I think to me that that's what I, like, that's instantly what I think about it is like, oh, this just fleshes out this world even more. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think that's why, like, that's why I like the animals in Star Wars so much. Like, def- sometimes they are beasts, and, and there's definitely some uh, sort of moral things you can question of, like, the rancor is, like, captured and taken there to eat people. And, you know, like, not 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 great, Jabba. Not mm-hmm. great at all. But then the, with things like the Porgs or with, like, all of the various beasts of, of burden that the characters ride, like the Tauntauns and the Eopies and the Rontos of, like, it just feels like they're a part of the environment. They've found a way to thrive there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I feel like that gives, because we need even more la- layers of content. I say jokingly, but you know, but I will say it out loud. I would eat it up. Um, you know, if there were, because there's so many, we don't know whether what birds live on different planets. Like there's so many different things that we don't know. Like to me, when you say nature documentary, it's not just the animals that we already have met. Yeah. There are so many that we don't know about yet. Oh yeah. And and honestly, I think to me that is a lot of what it comes down to for nature documentaries, whether about our world or fictional worlds, is it is that sense of discovery. Um, you know, and, and, and learning, but it's also like, uh, you know, I'm, I'm very unlikely to go to the part of China where the monkeys of Shangri-La live. And if I go there, <laughs> I'm probably not going to see any of them, uh, because they, you know, it's not really a place you can get to and you aren't really going to see them. So, you know, all of these examples, like it's a way, it's my way to armchair travel. Mm, yeah. <laughs> but, but I feel like it's, you know, it, it's like so many, um, other things like like that of you know reading a book but it's it's my way to experience other things that i'm not actually going to experience yeah yeah no that makes that makes a ton of sense mm-hmm. um and discover yeah yeah and i think uh it would be great to see new things that we've never seen before in star wars mm-hmm. and in the real world the mm-hmm. real galaxy the real universe but now i am just so fascinated with what are, is a porg's mating dance? Do they have some feathers hidden somewhere? Can they right. make themselves taller? Can they spin on their little heads? <laughs> yeah. Do they just fly and fly and fly in little circles? Yeah. Mm-hmm. This is uh, me taking my uh, obsession with Star Wars mm-hmm. and translating it back to a nature documentary question uh, for you. Part of the reason that I like all of the animals in Star Wars is they're everywhere. And it's this little subtle reminder that one of the baked-in themes of Star Wars is an idea of oneness, an idea of, you know, no one is alone. We're all a part of this 
massive uh, symbiotic connected uh, uh, world, Mm -hmm. galaxy, universe. Do you get that sense from nature documentaries when you watch something that is far removed from our day-to-day life? Does it does it translate to you that far, far away under the ice in Antarctica, there's, you know, this dance going on? Does it make you feel like I'm a part of, even in this apartment in Los Angeles, I'm a part of that because we're all connected? There's a oneness? Mm. That's a great question. Um, I hadn't really thought about it that way. And I think it depends a lot on the documentary. And sadly, that's probably not my instant reaction, but I want it to be. (laughs) (laughs) But I think for the the kind of um, the more focused documentaries, I probably don't have that reaction unless it's something that's very specific, like the polar bears are not going to have enough food because the ice is melting because climate change. And then I feel depressed um, because we are connected and killing the world. But, um, but like when I watch something that's about, you know, the flowers that bloom in Africa, I don't necessarily feel like, and that's, that's, that's part of my life. Um, But I, but I love that sense of feeling it as the oneness, and I'm going to try to approach that. Oh. I'm going to try to add that approach. Excellent. Thank I'm you. I'm glad that my rambling about Star Wars helped you. <laughs> <laughs> not um, the first time, not the last. <laughs> oh, thank you. Uh, you mentioned a great idea that mm-hmm. animals could make some documentaries about us. Mm-hmm. If the animals made a documentary about you and I <laughs> in the ecosystem of our apartment and then got David Attenborough to narrate it, what kind of things do you think David Attenborough would comment on? <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, this is going to be okay. about me, isn't it? No, okay. no, it's about us. All right. Um, the Scrimshaws, they like their piles. They like to move piles. They have a pile ritual. The Sarah Scrimshaw, she has a pile she moves in the morning away from her chair. And then at night, moves it back to her chair so she can sit in the other spot. Perhaps the pile warms her chair when she's not sitting there. <laughs> I think that's really, really great. And because sometimes <laughs> the nature documentaries have more, more often than not, they have the like, they know exactly why they do that. Right. And, and David Attenborough is like, you know, well, they're getting ready for uh, winter because they could smell this pod on the breeze. So they're moving this leaf across you know, to angle it this way to blah, blah. And like, how the, do you know all that? Mm-hmm. I am, I, I live in fear of my life being narrated and hearing David Attenborough go, <laughs> I have no idea why he's doing that. <laughs> <laughs> like the piles, like, like they have limited space and they are attempting to manage it. There's too much that they want to have near them and available, but they can't have everything. So they move it around to have different things available at different <laughs> times. Like they could explain that. But, like, when I just, like, go into the other room and can't remember why I did that, <laughs> just start looking at an action figure and just imagine David Attenborough going, he's forgotten his purpose. <laughs> it's just incredibly disturbing to me. <laughs> I thought I'd share that. Uh, if there was a nature documentary about humans in general, who would you want to narrate it? I'd want to mm. just give all the work to David Attenborough. Is there another actor or a scientist you love? Yeah, I mean, but he's so good. Um, 
Yeah, if they're one about humans, I want Patrick Stewart to narrate it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, very good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now, what is it about Patrick Stewart? Is it that air of, obviously, he's a a very good speaker, uh, but is it the air of confidence, the appreciation of the human condition? Yeah, I feel like, um, you know, as an actor, he has had the chance to portray a lot of different aspects of the human condition and to think about them a lot. So I feel like he would bring a level of um, empathy Mm. to the narration that I feel would actually um, would give it a nice uh, a nice touch. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Do you think David Attenborough comes across empathetic or do you think he comes across like a a very warm scientist who's telling you the facts? Hmm. Ooh, I don't know that I would necessarily say one or the other with those, but probably a little bit more warm scientist who's telling you the facts. Was that yeah. one of the options? It was just, <laughs> okay. You can make up your own option, too. I was just um, But very, I mean, I've, I feel like he is a great, a great narrator. And, you know, this is his his passion and his life's work. And I. I'm sure there are documentaries at one point where he's like, I don't know why they're doing that. <laughs> there is one and it always sticks in my head. It's yeah. We follow some monkeys and they seem pretty awesome. And then they, uh, one of them, one of the monkeys murders another and eats their brains. <laughs> and he's like, I don't know why they did that. It's the same episode that <laughs> has right. the damn uh, fungus that bursts out of the ant's head and animates it as a zombie ant. Yep. The most disturbing hour of television, <laughs> in my opinion. But he, to be fair to him, I think he has moments of whimsy. Oh, yeah. Right? I, he has and, personality. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I don't feel so like he's... So does Patrick Stewart, damn it. Yeah, I just, I don't feel like he's very, like, he's not like, mm, like, you know, I've got my shirt and buttons and my pencil pouch, and that's a bad stereotype, but, you know, <laughs> like, I feel like he's... He's there. He's got his crumpled cotton shirt on out in the field with us and just helping us understand what we're seeing. Yeah. Yeah. He's there to help us. He's not there to tell us. That's a great way to say he's there to help us understand, navigate Mm -hmm. the wild world of uh, our world. Yeah. Yeah. He's our navigator. Yeah. If you could commission a nature documentary about any animal specifically, you got to request the animal. Ooh. uh, What would you ask for? Well, so many of the animals that I would have asked for have been made. Um, narwhals. Ooh, yeah, because narwhals are the the crazy the unicorn whales. of the sea. <laughs> that it looks like a horn, but it's their weird tooth, right? It's a tooth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Have you? So, how much do you know about narwhals, the unicorns of the sea? <laughs> Not a lot, although I'm I'm learning through the magical powers of of Instagram and following a lot of nature photographers. <laughs> I think you have uh, shown me some narwhal pictures in bed. <laughs> I, I definitely, all the time. Uh, like, sweetie, look. I think I just like randomly one day last year, I was like, I haven't thought about these animals in years. And then suddenly kind of decided to get obsessed with them and was searching Instagram for um for the tag and then started following a bunch of nature photographers. Um, Paul Nicklin is probably one of the best known ones. Who's a well-known Arctic and Antarctic uh, photographer who gets amazing um, shots of, okay. of all sorts of whales. Belugas. Belugas would be another one. Okay. Nice. Belugas or narwhals. I like mm-hmm. that a lot. Uh, I think we kind of talked about this, but I want to check in. In general, when you watch a nature documentary, do you feel like you get more hope for it from it or more uh, fear or concern 
for the environment from watching a nature documentary? Mm, usually in the moments of watching it, more, um, more hope, more peace, more enjoyment. Sometimes um, we watched one the other day about coastal seas and my reaction afterwards was like, I need to go see how to how I can help being a resident of California to save the kelp forests. Like, who can I call? What can I do? Um, that one that one was really the the point of the episode, though, to say, yeah, look, it's falling apart. Here's here's photos of it. Yeah. And you can you can do things about this. Yeah. It's not too late. Um, so, yeah, I think I think usually more hopeful um, at sometimes depending on what mood I'm in or how something is portrayed, it can just lead to a spiral of we've killed the planet and we all knew this was coming and why didn't we do something 50 years ago? Yeah, that that's not fun. <laughs> <laughs> so hope is good, right? Hope. And did, did you feel more hopeful? Because it sounds like you that one that was explicitly about here is the exact damage that is being done to these uh, coral reefs and mm-hmm. this is how the impact it's having on these species that are disappearing. Um, did you feel more hopeful of there's still time we can do something? Yes. I think it's a combination of feeling like, yes, there's still time, but also, um, you know, sometimes it's easy with some of those things to feel powerless also. Yeah. Even though they're individuals can do a lot. Uh, we also like, I can't just be like protected marine area, (laughs) eat more urchins. (laughs) And for those of you listening at home, uh, Sarah just mimed a large rubber stamp. Yep. I yep. wish we all had environment <laughs> rubber stamps. <laughs> if someone watched nothing but nature documentaries for a week, what would it do to them? Oh, wow. I mean, it depends a lot on which ones. They, I, th- I think the combination of things, like there would be that feeling that when they then went outside for the first time, um, assuming that it is a time when then we can go outside again, that they needed to be extra careful of their environment, as in like, are there predators Where's my prey? <laughs> um, Do my feathers look nice? Am right? I going to die? <laughs> exactly. But I, it's like, say you're watching an nature documentary that's about volcanoes. Um, and you've been watching that for a day straight. Like, I think you're going to kind of feel like, is the earth steady? Right. You know, is, I don't live in a place near volcanic activity, but is there going to be one now anyway? Um, so I feel like it's going to be a lot of heightened senses. Nice. But I would also hope a little bit of like, like lowered blood pressure, you know, you've been watching things, hopefully some of the calmness some of calm and some beauty, some of just like the realities of nature. Hopefully some of the benefits of being in nature would get to you from watching nature. I don't know. Yeah. I'm not a scientist. Yeah. We watched Into the Inferno. Yeah. A film uh, directed and narrated by Werner Herzog. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of beauty, but there was a lot of a sense of the earth is nothing but roiling magma yeah. that may come for us at any moment. Yeah, it was pretty amazing. It was pretty amazing. Would you want every nature documentary narrated by Werner Herzog? Um, you know, I don't want every nar- every nature documentary narrated by any one person. Okay. I would like to see some some ch- I mean, I love it David Attenborough. Nothing against Werner Herzog. Um, but I would love to see some some changing up of Who's doing the narrating? Okay. So, Narwhals mm-hmm. by Werner Herzog. You in for that? Mm. Mm, yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure if I believe you. <laughs> I mean, he would have such an interesting take on it. Yeah. 
that, yeah. that would be very interesting. But I feel like um, I feel like there's there's other people. I I don't I don't know the the people. Okay. But. If Werner Herzog has a cameo, the mm-hmm. service where you can you know request people to give you messages, I would pay Werner Herzog to have him just say "Unicorns of the Seas." <laughs> going to move on to our how obsessed are you questions uh do you think about nature documentaries every day um no yeah because you are obsessed with the general idea of them but they're not a constant consumption no but i do often think about well when's the next time i can watch a nature documentary (laughs) (laughs) so you long for them do you long for them every day um I mean, then don't know. That's putting more emotion on it. But I, I do. I'd say you know, I do think about them at least a few times a week. Okay. Um, especially because I have this messed up idea that um, in our household we have divided many of the tasks. One of the things that I do is prep our papers for taxes, and I for years kept being like, okay, well, I'm just gonna you know this weekend I'm gonna put on nature documentaries and work on entering stuff for taxes. Which is a horrible combination. I finally figured out because nature documentaries you have to watch. Entering <laughs> things on the computer and looking at receipts you have to watch. Like it's not that it's a horrible combination, but I kept trying to do it. So I kept being like, well, that'll be a benefit of tax season as I can watch extra nature documentaries. Um, but this year I finally took me a few years to learn my lesson, but I did learn my lesson. Okay. Well, that that's very good to know because <laughs> I will make sure to make uh, advocate for us making more nature documentary time around tax season. <laughs> So you can watch freely. Would you have a nature documentary birthday party? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm excited about that. Yeah, that's a great idea. Uh, what, what kind of things would you maybe do for it? How would it be a nature documentary birthday party? Well, I mean, in the right now times, it would be a watch along. <laughs> Online. In Online. the beautiful future times when we can be together again, what would it be? Yeah. I mean, wouldn't that be fun to like program like here are three half-hour nature documentaries that I like and want to share for whatever reason. Would you want people to dress up in any way? Um, yes, I'd like them to wear their plumage. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't that be great if you just said, come in your plumage and didn't define it any more than that and just saying like... I mean, I feel like that's kind of the best way to do that. <laughs> Fair yeah. enough. Would you want people uh, narrated as they walked in? I mean, that's tricky. I mean, part of me is like, yeah, that'd be fantastic. I think if they're like an index card worth of like big writing, not small, tiny writing, like a small amount. Okay. Like the announcing people when they arrive, like in oldie times, they're like, and now we have Joseph Scrimshaw. His plumage today is his neck sack. Uh, fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah, because you wouldn't want them to start making like emotional judgments. Like, yeah, here comes the Joseph Scrimshaw, his shoulders slumped in sadness because his life. Like, hey, come on. Yeah. No. No. Yeah. No. 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 No judgments. One of the things that I want for my birthday party is people to enjoy themselves and feel <laughs> happy about themselves instead of being judged by David Attenborough when they walk in. Yeah. Or anybody. Uh, would you or have you uh, ever? Uh, said a swear word because of a nature documentary oh i'm sure i have what could, maybe what would have elicited it what just uh pure surprise awe a surprise yeah or awe yeah like an amazing shot like over the mountains yeah sorry oh. over the mountains not to <laughs> whisper it oh, i'm in mountains. awe i must whisper <laughs> uh okay fair enough 
So happy swearing. Yeah, yeah, I think so. <laughs> I can't think of any times, at least off the top of my head, where that would have been like upset. Okay. <laughs> would you want any picture from planet Earth on our shower curtain? Oh, yeah. So many. <laughs> so, I mean, you've got the picture of the Earth from space, which, right. I mean, I'm always up for that as a shower curtain. I believe, is it Planet Earth where there's, they make a montage of a bunch of little different pictures? Like, I would love that because every time you look oh, at it, you're yeah. like, oh, look at that little, you know, I keep going to giraffes. I don't know why today. But, um, you know, like, look at that tree over there from that episode. Or look at this. And look yeah. at that. Like, that would be, look at the little crab. Like, <laughs> that would be really fun. And then, I mean, it's so full of beautiful imagery. I think I would want to change the shower curtain every week and we would have new shower curtains for years. <laughs> okay. Well, we're going to, we're going to look into <laughs> if that's a send away, if that's a sort of loot box, a different uh, nature documentary <laughs> shower I, curtain. I, I don't think we need that. <laughs> I don't think we need it, no, but we might no. want it. Uh, would you ever want to be on a nature documentary crew? Um, honestly, probably not. I mean, if the right opportunity came up for some reason, right. sure. But, um, but your passion is consuming them, not being involved in them. Yeah, yeah. That said, <laughs> so, um, so I work at a park, mm -hmm. and right now during the now yeah. times, um, because we are close to the public, it's a very peaceful park. And so one of the things that I have really advocated for, and that happily lots of people are on board with, is saying, you know, the park is quiet. Let's shoot these little mini videos. Um, of like the turtles just hanging out on the rock or like what are the flowers that are blooming and you know we don't it, it is me going and shooting these on my phone like i'm not claiming to be a, a videographer it's my old phone just shooting you know yeah. happily has 1080 uh capacity but that's been really fun and in fact the other day i was I was like, okay, one of these days I want to get a hummingbird in flight on one of my videos. And I was taking just a quick little video of um, an iris that was blooming for the what's blooming section. And a hummingbird flew into my frame, paused, hummingbird flittered, and then flew out. And I was so excited. It was pretty amazing. You are kind of being a one-person nature documentary uh, uh, crew right now. Yeah, just without the content expert part. But I get to be the, like, I get to observe nature and try to think about it in terms of what would other people possibly like to see and why and how can we share that with people yeah in fact, so i like that part of it i learned something from you about turtles because you showed me a video that you took of the turtles at greystone in uh -huh. a little pond it, it, it was slightly stressful because it was of the turtles slowly crawling up and i was just like get up there turtle uh, but then i was like hey you could do a different like uh here's the thing a turtle's doing every week and you're like no <laughs> They don't do that many things. I mean, they grow up on the rocks. Next one, and then is, they go back in the water. The next one that's going up is probably going to be the one of one turtle on the rock, <laughs> which is kind of unusual because usually there's like ten turtles on the rock. But... Okay, so that turtle needs some alone time from the other turtles. I mean, it was kind of a cloudy day, so it's usually when the sun's out that they all oh, climb up on the it rock. It was an emo turtle mm -hmm. out for the clouds. <laughs> <laughs> if aliens came to Earth and you were the person assigned to greet them. Would you show them a nature documentary to explain humanity? Mm, it would definitely be one of my considerations. Yeah. Yep. Uh, what do you think would be the benefit in terms of aliens understanding us? I would show them the um, the Animals in Cities episode. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's Planet Earth 2, right? It is. That it, one's amazing. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's I the mean, one that's got the the shot of the the perfect comedy shot of the monkey taking somebody's food. Yeah, God, it's beautiful. Yeah, and it's got both like the fun sides like that, and the really, really, really bad sides like the yeah. sea turtles that can't find their way to the beach because of the bright lights. Which, by the way, because of right now, it's doing better. They're doing better. Right. Yeah. There's a lot of animals doing better. And uh, yeah, I'll give a shout out to uh, Beth Pratt. Who I got to meet uh, doing the when uh, I was a co-producer, co-host uh, for the Story Collider uh, podcast and and show series, uh, and she does a lot of work with the mountain lions, and she did a great story about her personal relationship with wildlife, and in particular, uh, learning that wildlife and urban life do interact and have to interact and have to find a balance. So that's mm-hmm. extra cool. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Double shout out to her. Double shout out. This is such a great experience and she's an awesome person. So anyway, uh, moving on. If you are about to see a nature documentary on the big screen, if you're going to go to the Omni Theater (laughs) in St. Paul, but a bear was blocking your path, would you try to get around the bear? Ooh, I mean, it depends a little bit on what the documentary is. Yep. Because there are some that'd be like, you're just going to name plants. I don't need to see that. Um. But if it was like, okay, we've got a new one, we've got, you know, like an hour with the mountain gorillas. We know it's been in your queue for two years, Sarah, but this is the only time you can see this one. Um, yeah. Yeah. This is the time I'm going to try to get around the bear. It seems appropriate, too, because we were, I didn't even mean to tee it up, but we were just talking about, well, <laughs> quote unquote, wildlife and urban life have to learn to live together. That's right. So you really could be like, bear. <laughs> do you want to see some mountain girls right. bear come on in come on in what do you need put bear? on your plumage put on your plumage and put on <laughs> your throat sack and get in here bear <laughs> do you have a noise to sum up your obsession <laughs> um that was just me laughing that was not my noise um wow let's see it doesn't have to be super narrative because you yeah, often do narrative do. ones no, so i'm I've... gonna ask you to do one you feel <laughs> okay you had another one in mind no that I, was what i had in mind actually. oh you were gonna you That's were gonna wee I anyway do. i was oh yeah. i knew your call <laughs> <laughs> the wee on a scale of one to ten mm-hmm. one being the lowest ten being the highest where would you rate your obsession mm, i'm gonna say an eight an eight which okay. for me is pretty high it is it is because this is as you and i have talked about i've talked about on the podcast before uh this is not a podcast about gatekeeping or overly defining what obsession is so in that uh, that uh, uh, stream of thought amount of time you can commit to it is not necessarily a, a definition of obsession mm-hmm. it can be but for you your interest is passionate when you have the time yeah to watch yeah and yeah exactly and when i do watch it i so thoroughly enjoy it and i do think about them a fair amount yeah and if you can consider like the photos on Instagram a part of this uh, <laughs> and and the videos that you are actively taking right now, they mm-hmm. are, it is involved in your life in lots of different ways. Yep. Yeah. So I think you're an eight. We found one of your Easily. highest obsessions. <laughs> Amazing. That's right. awesome. Uh, we're going to move on to the plugging section. We want to tell people where they can uh, find you. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Sarah underscore Scrimshaw and on Instagram at Scrim Street, where I do sometimes post pictures of nature. Yeah. And do you want to direct people to where they can see your nature videos for your work? Absolutely. Um, So I work at a place called Greystone, which is run by the city of Beverly Hills. The easiest access is to go to beverlyhills.org slash Greystone or go to communitylifebh.org. 
All right. And you'll find it there also. And you can follow Greystone on Facebook too, right? Yes. Nice. Nice. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram is at Joseph Scrimshaw. You can follow Obsessed Podcast on Twitter and Facebook is at Obsessed Podcast. You can also check out the Star Wars podcast I co-host. That is called Force Center. For info on all my upcoming shows and comedy albums and stuff, you can check out my website at josephscrimshaw.com. Yes, I said upcoming shows because they will upcome eventually. <laughs> you can support Obsessed by backing us on Patreon. Full info on that, go to patreon.com slash josephscrimshaw. All right, here are some final questions. You ready? I'm ready. If you got to design a postal stamp, what would be on the stamp? Ooh, anything? Yeah. Wow. I love postal stamps. <laughs> May I just say that? I yeah. Only one? Uh, I mean... I can ask you this question again because we're going to do more episodes together. Okay. So, um, well, I'm going to stick with the theme. I was going to say trees. Yeah. Or else I would say like narwhals and belugas. It could be in every other one. That'd be pretty cool. A, a narwhal beluga trade-off. Mm-hmm. Okay. A whole, if it was like a series of large aquatic animals yeah or just aquatic animals is there anything else you you'd add oh yeah let's add like the blue whale yeah let's add um a humpback whale what was the the just cutest damn thing we saw in the that was it the sea otter <laughs> yeah. the one that has the we learned has the densest fur yeah and is uh, like spends a large amount of its time with the sea otter just uh cleaning itself just, just chilling the, just a little face wipes with the paw yeah God. yeah it was awfully cute yeah all right so, uh, those are great stamps mm-hmm. and we should all buy them immediately excellent something like it might exist so maybe could uh if you could make any food or drink materialize by snapping your fingers what would it be Ooh, um mm, really good bread <laughs> how do you define really good bread uh, like a good, like, crusty baguette or French boule or something like that. <laughs> you, I, I love the idea that you would snap your fingers and say, French boule. Yeah. And it would show up. What is French boule? It's it's like the round, um, brown uh, loaf, uh, B-O-U-L-E. It's the um, still life bread, the still life painting <laughs> bread. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I would, I would do one of those. Or, the, you know, like on the right day, like a really good pumpernickel. Okay. All right. Uh, so you would have some bread options. Yeah. Would you also put those three breads on stamps? Oh, yeah. <laughs> a bread series of stamps? That would be fantastic. Excellent. Yeah. Okay, the final question for everyone on the podcast is, what is happiness? Do you want to answer that, or do you want me to come up with a naturized, nature documentary version of what is happiness? Ooh, I want a naturized version. Okay. What is happiness in nature? <laughs> uh I'm going to be cheesy and say when the um, the ecosystem works the way it's supposed to. It's a well-functioning coral reef. That is beautiful. When the wampa has enough tauntauns to eat, <laughs> that is happiness on Hoth. Thank you very much. That is our podcast. You've been listening to Obsessed. Joseph Scrimshaw and his guest shared some stories with the rest. Rate five stars if you're impressed. All right, so I'm going to ask you to see if you can remember, because it relates to the conversation that we just had. You and I, when we started dating, saw a movie together. Uh, we, we had a wonderful experience of seeing the first movie that we saw together. I do not remember if it was Revenge of the Sith or March of the Penguins. Do you remember which it was? Which was first? Which was first. No. <laughs> I have been trying to remember for like... A year. Which was first, Revenge of the Sith 
or March of the Penguins. I love that they have similar titles, and I want to see a mashup of those two films. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Would you go on a date with me to the uh, Revenge of the Penguins? Yeah, or, or March of the Sith. <laughs> Revenge of the Penguins. Revenge of the Penguins. Yep. Uh, it's a date. Yep.